welcome to the Echo Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, um, yeah, what, what want to encourage you. We had a great weekend last weekend for those that were here. Um, yeah, special time. Um, lots of truth bombs. Um, some challenge. Some, oh, I actually believe that or I do believe that. I'm going to have to process that. Lots of um, processing and pondering and, and asking the Lord about a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I love it. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, now it's dripping, Dad said. You better pick it up because now it's dripping. Oh, my gosh. It's just, oh, look at this. Look at this. Thanks, mate. See, again, church, it's just like life. Stuff happens. Who cares? But, yeah, I, I, love, I love gathering. I love what Chris Gore brought. Um, I love chatting with him. I loved us gathering. I love the church. I love what Jesus uh, is building. Uh, I love it. I love the expression of meeting. I love that we gather together and agree about who he is and what's possible. I love that we can pray for each other, encourage each other, worship together. Um, I love that. And I loved Chris Gore coming. And just the more I'm growing and maturing, I guess, um, I'm, I'm coming to a point where it's never been more important to gather. But in the same breath, the Monday is as important as the Sunday. And often we make church this huge, big, number one thing and everything else falls really low down the list. And church is a big deal and it's the idea of Jesus and it is his body and the corporate gatherings essential even all the more as we see the day approaching the Bible says, but there's this thing that I continually am stirred with, and it's the Monday is super important. The, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday, and it's not just about this day. It's about every day, and we've been talking about how there's a corporate public story that's happening with us together, but there's also a backstory, which is a private story. It's a behind-the-scenes story that we all have. And even your closest person on the planet, there's still things that you think that they don't know. There's a behind-the-scenes story and there's a backstory. And God sees it all and he loves the corporate, he loves the public, but he also loves the backstory. And when we invite him into it, it's a really special place. Because as I said, I love the corporate gathering, but I said last week, we're just a bunch of people in process. And that's not to um, nullify the finished work of the cross because we are becoming who we already are. We're not working for love. We're not working for victory. We're not living for love. We're not living for victory. It's from victory and it's from love. Isn't it cool that the Father said, I'm pleased and proud this is my son whom I'm pleased and proud of before he did anything. Isn't that cool? I mean, you could expect it maybe after the, it is finished and a voice from heaven came. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He did it. But he did it before he started ministry, before he started the corporate, the public, the public activity, the ministry. I just think that's amazing. And God is the same with us. He's a genius and he's brilliant and he thinks on another level that he can separate what you do and who you are and he's pleased and proud of you. Amen? So it's not just about Sundays because we all have a backstory. 
And I love powerful moments together, but I love, I love the backstory and embracing my backstory this year about just the ADHD journey that I'm going on and still on. <laughs> was that like a... a bit, oh, that was a moment. I didn't mean it to sound like that. There's a bit of frustration there because there is. It's hard. It's challenging. It's, it's, it is. It's full on. It's been a big year. But inviting him into it changes things. And the more I'm moving along and moving ahead, the real challenge and the real key I'm finding in the backstory is the beliefs and the believing and what am I believing? What am I believing? I love what Chris said. Like, what are we believing about God? You're not going to become what God thinks of you. You're going to become what you think God thinks of you. I love that. So this whole story and journey and process that I've been on, this backstory that you don't know all the details and I don't know all yours, but we're all on a journey and we show up together and sometimes it looks fabulous, but the Monday and the Tuesday isn't so fabulous. And it's okay and the great challenge is let's bring who we are on Sundays and watch him crash in and encourage for a couple of hours and not to spur us on. Church isn't meant to spur you on so you can get through the week. That's not the point. The point's to come and gather and celebrate and agree who he is together. And then we're encountering him on our own during the week and building and growing and developing a history with him. Because when we develop a history with him, we begin to know what he's like. And when we begin to know what he's like, trust comes. And the fruit of trust is peace. And life starts to work. Is that okay? Thanks for coming. I want to share a scripture. It's all about the beliefs and the believing. I want to share a scripture with you. I'm not sure if you've heard this. It might have been on a coffee mug. Uh, actually, this probably one wasn't probably on a coffee mug because it was a bit heavy. But we become so familiar with scriptures and we're taught things and things are said and then we just believe them and then we develop great big fat doctrines and the theologies then we sing songs about it and we confirm it over the years and this one's a cracker Romans 3:23. you know it for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God cool Romans 3:23. for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and for me this was one of those scriptures I don't know how it got in or where it got in but it was just one of those things that I just thought I was a sinner saved by grace and i fallen short of God's glory even when I was a believer. I'm not sure about you if that was just a thing. I don't know. But for me, it was just a, a thing on the side. There was just a niggle. Yeah, but we've all fallen short. If someone made a mistake, yeah, but we're all fragile and it's a fragile world and, and, and you're just a sinner saved by grace and we all fall short. That's okay. You fall short. You fall short of God's glory. And it wasn't until I started reading Romans 6, 7 and 8 and, and how he sees us and how he loves us and how he's never had a bad thought about us and how he's pleased and proud and, and yes, there's consequence and yes, we can, we, can, we can hurt his heart. Of course we can, otherwise he wouldn't care. But there's this truth around relationship and salvation and the promises that have been stamped, yes. And, and, and this verse has annoyed me because we, we miss the full context of the scripture. 
which I'll share the full context in about 15 minutes. But I, I want us to acknowledge that verse and how we can easily read it and look at it and consider that that's us right now. And it's not. I want to share a little story, 2 Samuel 9, 1 to 3, and then we'll, we'll continue moving. But we're talking about backstories, we're talking about beliefs, and we're talking about how important it is to own our beliefs in our backstory, because often the corporate and the public and the moving and the doing and the doing the great stuff for God, it's always going to come from what we believe in our backstory. Does that make sense? 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 to 3. One day David asked, King David, cool. One day David asked, is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. We'll pause that and we'll go to 2 Samuel 4.4. And it gives us a little bit of backstory about this uh, son of Jonathan and the crippled feet situation. 2 Samuel 4.4. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Dad and grandfather was killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked up and fled. But as she was in a hurry, she dropped him and he became crippled. Can you imagine this? This boy, five years old, war, didn't see mum and dad much, grandfather much, Saul, Jonathan, didn't see them much. Nurse was looking after him. This is like developmental important years of nurture and identity and love and importance and, and growth as a child and the war is happening and the nurse is looking after him. So report came that grandpa and dad died. So there was already fear because of the wars, war-ridden land, and then grandpa and dad died. And then can you imagine the fear of hearing that and the pain and the shock and the trauma and the devastation of that moment? Hard to comprehend for a five-year-old, but the fear in the nurse's eyes and the hurry and the, and the scattering and the, and the moving, was that enough? That's heavy enough. That's, that's deal, had to deal with trauma enough after that. But not only that, he was dropped and was paralyzed from then on and couldn't walk. He was crippled. So not only, not only did his inner world change forever, but his physical body changed forever. Huge deal, hey, hey, yeah, it's massive. Talk about pain and trauma. Let's continue on, 2 Samuel 9, 
Four will start there, but I'll say three again to move us into four. Second Samuel 9, 4 to 13, but I'll start with three. The king then asked, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zebra replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Mephibosheth, we just talked about him. Where is he? The king asked, in Lodabar. Zeba told him, at the home of Micaiah and Amiel. Lodabar means without order, no leader, not governed, without pasture, rebellious, barren, and without speech. Great name. Encouraging. And Mephibosheth was from there. Verse 5, so David sent for him and brought him from Micaiah's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he was summoned and he came to David. He bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, um, wow, it's the first time. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, um, I am your servant. I was so confident all along. I've said it four times and now the fifth and sixth times I've absolutely botched it. It's okay, church is like life. Don't be afraid. Meshibbeth. Oh, now I've stuffed it. Come on. Someone say it. I might, he might get a nickname. He might get a nickname. Mephibosheth. 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 Verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Zeba and said, I've given you your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Zeba replied, yes, my Lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table like one of his own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Zeba's household and Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. He treated him as his own son. Why did David say, don't be afraid? Because it was custom during that time that anyone attached to any enemy or previous king, everyone in the family was murdered, slain, taken out, so that they could not come back and try and reclaim or reign or oppose the new king. Huge. So think of this guy, the pain, the trauma, the angst, the worry, the life, and then the crippled, and then the summoning by the king, knowing he's going to be executed.
dead dog, rubbish, worthless, I'm nothing, here it is. I just wonder, like, have you felt like that? Or do you feel like that? Like, yep, 80% worship, praise, church, cool, and we name all the things that we do as Christians. And then there's this like, yeah, but I, can't, I feel a bit like that, this inner world pain, this physical thing I'm dealing with. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel like I deserve this kindness. Can you imagine how he felt? And like, I just want to ask this question today, and I, it's important that we ask ourselves questions. Like, do you feel like this? Have you felt like this? Do you feel like this? Is it your full belief that you've fallen short of the glory of God? Because that's how Meshibbeth, oh yeah, well, that's how he felt. That's how he felt. He hated himself. He felt worthless, hopeless. He bowed down in shame. Have you ever felt like this? And do you feel like this? If you have, or more importantly, if you do, then can I ask you a super important question? Have you experienced the kindness of the King? Have you experienced the kindness of the King? See, David reached out for reconciliation, for restoration, for redemption, for relationship. He extended kindness. Do you know what the Greek word for grace is? I I know what you'll say, but it's not actually the Greek word. Not trying to stir the pot. But the words that we say grace is, isn't actually the Greek word for grace, which is super important. The Greek word for grace is charis, and it means kindness. The kindness of God for someone else. It's the kindness of God. It's the, yes, it's the operational power of God. It, it gives us the ability that we didn't have before, but the word grace is kindness. It means the kindness of God. You know Romans 2.4, it's the kindness, it's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, that change the way that we think. It's his kindness, it's his grace. It's his grace that changes, causes us to change the way that we think. It's his kindness. He was shown kindness by King David. And there was another, there's another guy that was shown incredible kindness. Peter. You know, Peter first met Jesus and immediately followed. Obsessed with Jesus. You'll notice little key parts throughout the New Testament, like when even when Jesus was in the tomb or supposedly in the tomb and they heard news and the Bible says that they ran and John wrote the book. So he said that the disciple that Jesus loved uh, beat Peter to the tomb. But it's cool that Peter was actually the first one that walked into the tomb. So John made it there first, but Peter actually walked in and said that John followed behind. Peter was obsessed with Jesus. He loved him. 
He built a relationship with him, connection with him, knew who he was, watched this kindness on display. The Pharisees would say, we're marvelling at the grace-filled charis. We're marvelling at the kindness that's flowing from his lips. Kindness wrecks people. Grace wrecks people. It's immaterial. It's not cognitive. It's not understandable. It's, it's something di- uh, deeper. Kindness of God. It's presence. It's, it's real. It changes us. It's the thing. It's the substance that gives us faith. It's, it's by grace, through faith. You can't have faith without first having grace. Grace is released because you couldn't have faith. Grace gives you the ability that you didn't have before. It's the kindness of God that gives you faith to believe in Jesus. And Peter was obsessed with him. Peter was obsessed with Jesus. Jesus would say stuff. I've shared this. Are you going to leave me too? And Peter would pipe out, no. You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is teaching um, at Caesarea Philippi. He's like, who do men say that I am? And we know the story. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. It's Peter who jumps up. There was 12 there, but Peter pipes up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we, and we see this, this passion when we get to this time where Jesus is like, hey, it's my time to go. They're not understanding. They're not, they're not comprehending what's to come. And, and Peter's obsessed with Jesus. And we see this passion when the guards come. And we know the story. I think it's Matthias, the guard. Peter gets his sword out. And he cuts the guard's ear off. And there's some, some text in some of the books that Jesus said, hey, we're, we're not doing this. And there's another translation where Jesus actually picks the ear up and puts it on and he gets healed. It's powerful, but we see the passion of Peter. There was this devastation, this disappointment about what's happening to Jesus because this is his guy. This is the one that's changed his life forever and it's hard for him to describe. And now the one that he is obsessed with and gave up everything to follow is being taken from him and he's going where to prepare a place and the Holy Spirit's going to, and he's not understanding and Peter doesn't know what to do. He's freaking out. He's devastated and he's fearful and he's, he's not sure what's going to happen and he freaks out and cuts his ear off because you're not going to take my Jesus. And then we know the story and often when there's devastation and disappointment, often that results in a whole bunch of stuff in our life. And we know the story of Peter walking through and denying Jesus three times. I didn't know him, which is what a contrast to being obsessed with him. But the disappointment and the confusion and the fear and the this is my king. He didn't know what to do. And he's, and he's in a world of pain. And he denied Jesus three times. But I want to read just this passage I shared a couple of weeks ago. Mephibosheth didn't feel like he deserved kindness. He knew he was going to be executed because of the way it was done back in the day. But King David extended kindness and he experienced the kindness of the king. Peter 
was obsessed with Jesus, lived for Jesus, followed Jesus, but he denied Jesus three times. And the Bible says that after that rooster crowed, he wept bitterly, translated wailing. He was wailing. He was wailing because he was operating outside of who he was. He had a bad moment. Didn't make him bad. Didn't, didn't cause him to be shunned forever. He had a bad moment and he realised that he operated outside of who he really was because he loved Jesus. And then we come to this. Uh, I'm going to read straight out of this and then we'll just see, see how we land. John 21. So all this has happened. Jesus has um, been crucified and he, it's during these, this time where he's, he's walking among them and showing up. He's already showed up twice. And this is the, the last time before the ascension. And we see here in verse 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Um, Peter said, I'm going out to fish. You know, often we just refer to what we know when pain and disappointment and devastation come. There's my Bible. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that, might, uh, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John wrote this book, P.S., then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire and burning coals there were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, la, uh, so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised to the dead. A few more verses. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He said, Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? 
He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter the question to, to bring reconciliation and redemption. Mephibosheth came in super low, groveling, feeling like a dead dog and knowing he was going to be executed because of the life that he'd lived and the customs around his condition. But Peter responded different. Peter denied Jesus three times after three years of mouthing off beautifully of how much he loved him and he denied Jesus three times publicly. I would have thought it would have been natural and normal for Peter, as soon as John said it's the Lord, to hide under the bottom of the boat. To go, you know, under those boats where Jesus was sleeping that time in the storm, there was room under there. I don't know about you, but maybe I would have felt a bit sheepish. I would have felt, oh my gosh, I denied him publicly and had that view of a mean, harsh God that's out to scold and rebuke and tell you how bad you've been. (laughs) Peter jumped in the water. As soon as he heard him say it's the Lord, no fear, no embarrassment, no shame, no guilt, he knew who he was. And he jumped in the boat like uh, in the water like a madman. Put his coat on. Like what a nutter. He put his coat on to swim to the shore because he wanted to reconnect. He knew who he was. First story, low, I'm going to be killed, I'm a dead dog. David wanted to show kindness and he experienced the kindness of the king. This story, Peter had three years with him. He knew what he was like. He was confident, he was bold and he approached him and he was up for the conversation. He knew there was going to be words because on the other side of breakthrough, uh, sorry, vulnerability is the beginning of breakthrough. Having heart, connection and and authentic chats and talking about real stuff. And Jesus went straight in three times to address the three denials. What a king. And he experienced the kindness of the king and became the pastor of the first church. And, and, and what an honour to, 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 to welcome in the presence and to build a culture of presence and signs and wonders and the gospel being preached. And what a God. Mitchie, can you jump up? So can, can you relate? Can you relate to either story? Again, this whole backstory of ours, it's a, it's a belief deal. We're not in a sin management program as believers. It's, it's not. I loved what Chris, I've been taking so many notes over the last three months about just tweaking and adjusting some of our core beliefs. Um, to, to launch sort of next year. And one of them, I'm going to just give it away, one of them saints, not sinners. And I've been writing this for quite a while. And it's such a massive deal. It's such a massive deal. Yeah. We're not 
in this sin management program. It's a, it's a beliefs journey. It's an encounter journey. The Pharisees are like talking about eternal life and I think it's John 14, 29, I think. He's like, hey, you guys think the Scriptures give you eternal life? And Jesus is like, they point to me. John 17, 3, it's like, this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know me. Have you ever felt like any of this negative stuff? Have you... Do you feel like that? The question is, have you experienced the kindness of the King? He's not mean or harsh. He's kind. Romans 3.23. Don't put it up yet. Please, it's a bit aggressive. But we've got to understand that there's a big fat comma. It's not not a full stop after the 23. It's a comma. So let's put the whole verse up. Romans 3.23 and 3.24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, and all are justified freely by His grace, by His kindness through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Why can't we share the whole context can't take those verses apart. Religion takes the verses apart. Comma. All have sinned, but all are justified freely. Do we have to activate that all? Yeah, we're going to activate it. I believe in you. I received the free gift. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that you are who you say that you are. I I receive you as my Lord and Saviour. I follow you. Of course, there's activation. But all have fallen short, but all are justified. Final verse. Check this out. Just to hammer this glory part home that you no longer fall short of the glory. How's this one? John 17 the glory, Jesus, red words, the glory which you have given me, I have also given to them. Can we clap that? Come on. The glory which you have given me, Father, I have given to them. This whole deal is a lies and truth deal that we're in. So, what are the lies that I'm believing? Holy Spirit, what's the truth? He's the spirit of truth who has this beautiful privilege of guiding us into all truth. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks God for kindness, for grace. Grace is not tolerance. Wow. We're not just innocent. We no longer have a sinful nature. Our old self died and we are now as righteous as Jesus is. Thank you, God.
anyone in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. As you just look at Him now, church. New is this word, freshly come or begun. It's this word that means unprecedented, uncommon, unheard of. It relates to not being previously present. The Greek word doesn't mean to be renovated. It's brand new. So thanks God for reminding me of how you see me right now. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for grace. Thank you that that your kindness gives me the ability that I didn't have before, meaning it gives me the ability to see you rightly. It gives me the ability to see myself rightly, how you see me. Not because of my experience or past or mistakes or decisions or choices that haven't ended up well. No, no. But because of what you say about me. Yes, God. Every person in this place no longer falls short because they're freely justified by grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ. If you haven't activated that, I'd encourage you to come and chat with me after and we'll pray and acknowledge that together. But those that have said yes to Jesus, I'm thankful that we're stepping into our new normal of believing rightly and getting rid of these niggles that are just lies about how we see ourselves and our perception of how you see us. Thanks, God. Thank you, God. Yeah, we cannot over-exaggerate His goodness. So Jesus, as the prayer ministry team comes forward, that would be great. Or if you're a leader in here and you feel to pray today, jump up and join the team. But yeah, thanks God that we're in process, but we're not worms in process. We're sons and daughters in process, becoming who we already are. And I thank you for what you're doing in this church and among us and in me, in you. Yeah, you're so good. You're so good. Yeah, why don't you just say, I receive that. Yeah. Really good.